This is funny. They calculated that between the first and the second man, four minutes must have passed. And then you throw a gangster on the train going 80 miles an hour, and then you throw a second one. How much time passes between the two events if the train doesn't change speed in between? Right? Four minutes. Mm -hmm. yeah. I guess you want some of the money. Keep the other half. I don't want it anyway. Nein. M ist nicht so. Warum haben Sie denn zu? I want to prevent a second murder. But you didn't mind the first. not sent to a forger. Jeff, if you recall, I tried to make a serious point of the difference between the actors, teachers, directors, use of the word intention and the word action. Unhappily, my position in relation to you reflects the merit in that observation. God knows my intention to help you has been and is strong, honourable and sincere. My action has been halting, interrupted and confused. The most likely reason for this, the backstory never came together. Contradictions could not and still cannot be resolved. Self-interest is threatened. You are the centre of your universe. It cannot be a surprise to you that you are not the centre of mine, even though your interests have been central to me many of the past 200 hours. You say you have read much about me. It is possible that in one of the articles you learned that I was one of those people whom H. Hughes, whom I admired, respected, may even have loved, could not buy. The people Howard manipulated with money finally didn't even provide him with the kidney machine that he helped invent. I don't want to see you go to prison. It, doesn't, it didn't help you much the last time, and I'm convinced that our penal system stinks and our judiciary is sorely wanting, but I cannot change them. I cannot change a fact or a fantasy. In transmitting information to me or to anyone else trying to help you, please try to make it pull together now and in the future. I am confused, frustrated and without any possible avenue into I want to something because something, etc. I am therefore unhelpful, but still hopeful that the image and the reality will come together for you. A very big and talented part of you is sure as hell capable of moving in that direction. I remain yours. P.S. Quote, Forgive me, I grovel before your talent. I'd gladly give you ten years of my life, but I cannot let you have the horses. The Seagull, Act 2, Line 66. The film starts with bright, garish red title letters. Fill the whole screen and say, um their Americanische front, the American friend, and very small letters underneath on um, 
against the background of a, a city streets in an American American city, I think in in New York. And the film has a very distinct color palette. It's dull and muted for the most part, but shot through with very bright sort of bleeding neon colors, strong colors in in particular parts. So green is the most important one. There are so many green neon lights sort of giving that strange or the worldly green hue to the film all the way throughout. Then there's um, red, red scarves, red coats, uh, Lisa Crozer's red coat, Bruno Gantz's red scarf, his football scarf, the orangey red of their car, then yellow, most particularly the bright yellow raincoat of um, of Daniel, their son, then blues, like the, the blue denim of um, Dennis Hopper's jeans and and um and uh denim jacket his cowboy outfit part of his cowboy outfit the film begins the action of the film begins with nick um tom ripley played by dennis hopper talking to nicholas nicholas ray's durwatt a painter and they're they're talking about money, but they're also talking about identity. They're talking about forgery. They're talking about fakes. Durwatt is a painter who's pretending to be dead to increase the value of his paintings. And Dennis Hopper is facilitating the sale of paintings, which he which he is he is painting now, but which purport to be, you know, unearthed lost masterpieces and that increases their value and that's the um that's the the sort of trade they're in it's different to the book ripley's game where um the painter is actually dead and there's a different um sorry to the by ripley's game the book all of the all of the um counterfeit painting business is over with it's already it's already been put paid to by the death of um, Bernard Tubbs in Ripley Underground. But in Ripley Underground, Durwatt is dead. The real painter is dead. And Bernard Tubbs is a young English painter who Ripley is using to forge Durwatt's. In Ripley's game, Durwatt is still alive and he's faked his own death and is, in, in essence, pretending to be himself. Tom Ripley, as played by Dennis Hopper, is a man who is constantly playing dress up. He dresses like a cowboy, a cowboy in Hamburg. What's wrong with that? In his denims and cowboy hat. He also spends quite a bit of the film dressed in and workman's overalls, even though he doesn't make anything except money, as he says with contempt in his voice at one point to Jonathan Zimmerman. Near the end of the film, he is almost dressed up in a, a sort of little soldier outfit. He's got um, a 
jumper on that's very much like what action man toys used to wear when I was young. He says into a tape recorder that he uses like um, the main character in Crap's Last Tape, the Beckett play, that he knows less and less about himself or anyone else. And he does seem to be a person, a person who is, his job is forgery and he feels himself to be a forgery. He doesn't seem to really live anywhere. He travels all the time. He doesn't have in the film the kind of home base that is Belle Ombre in the books. He does have a what could be a beautiful, impressive big house, an expensive house that it's obvious that he doesn't own. He's renting in Hamburg and it looks like he's barely moved in. He eats on a pool table that's covered in plastic and he takes Polaroid photographs of his face, his own face over and over again as if he's looking for some clue as to his own identity in it. And what attracts him to, and I think repels him from Jonathan Zimmerman is the idea that in Jonathan Zimmerman, he sees a craftsperson, someone who works with their hands and someone who is authentic and seems extremely authentic. So that when they meet for the first time at an auction where not only is Ripley selling a doubly fake painting in that it's a painting purporting to be a Derwis who's a dead painter by Derwis who is actually still alive. Um, not only is he doing that, it's obvious that he has a plant in the in the auction room as well, bidding everything up. Um, so he's being doubly dishonest. When he meets and is introduced to Jonathan for the first time, Jonathan refuses to, when he's introduced, Jonathan just says, I've heard of you, um, and refuses to shake his hand. And that doesn't just, in this film, that doesn't just make Ripley angry. It does make Ripley angry. Um, and it does bring about everything that happens afterwards. But it's also something that Ripley finds attractive because Ripley doesn't like himself. He knows he's an inauthentic person. He knows he's a fake. He doesn't like that about himself. And he is attracted to who he sees to be uh, a real person, a genuine person, a person with a genuine identity, a craftsperson who makes things with his hands. But he can't help but test that. He, he needs to, to test that, to see if that's really true, to see if that's this person who he looks up to and he would hope could he be friends with. He needs to test that just to see how authentic this guy's personality really is. Will it stand? Will it stand to be to be tested, to be put under pressure? And so he sets about putting it under pressure. So when Reeves Minot comes looking for an untraceable assassin, uh, Minot with a false identity himself, then Tom Ripley is ready to offer him um, Jonathan Zimmerman. And by a process once again of faking documents, 
they influence him to um to commit um an assassination in paris the assassination of american gangster in paris they um convince him that his his leukemia his blood disease has gotten worse that he's very imminently going to die by um well using real doctors presumably paying off those doctors and giving him fake results and and also of course they influence him through money by offering him money and um he's a not a wealthy man he's got a wife marianne and a son daniel and he's concerned about when he dies what kind of um how much money he's going to leave for them and what their financial situation is going to be however it is um interesting to note that uh marianne who is a a more interesting character than than jonathan trevani's wife i think in the book ripley's game she seems to have more agency they seem to have a better relationship um she already has a job working for an auction house she makes more money than jonathan zimmerman um and you know perhaps she and daniel will be okay financially and that brings us to the you know to a big point about about both jonathan zimmerman and, and jonathan trevani in the book i don't i don't think they commit these murders i don't think they do these assassinations primarily for the for the money I, I I think they tell themselves that that's the that that's the um the reason why they're doing it. I think that makes it easier for them to do because of course what they're saying then is that like I won't enjoy this money, I won't have this money, I'm going to be dead. So the money is for my family. So it's not for me, it's an unselfish act. But I don't think that's what what um is motivating uh Jonathan at all. I think what's motivating him is um a sense perhaps that that life has not been fair to to him that life hasn't given him all that he had hoped and an opportunity to take some kind of even immoral decisive action before it's all over and so begins the friendship or non-friendship of Thomas Ripley and Jonathan Zimmerman, and they use each other, and they use that friendship and that relationship to um, test their sense of themselves and their the strength of their own identities. In fact, it's just to occur to me that in some senses it's um, an early example of a, a, a buddy movie. And of course, they both find themselves wanting. They they both, in a sense, end up failing. And in a sense, this is fatal for Jonathan Zimmerman. The film does a very good job of keeping the nature of his illness vague throughout. So we, we know he has a blood disease. We know he has a limited time left to live. We know that uh, we're pretty certain that Reeves Minot and Tom Ripley have gotten the um, the blood test that he that he gets done in the American hospital, the best in Paris. 
um, manipulated to make it seem as if as if he is further along in his illness, closer to death than he really is. But in the end, he does die. He dies behind the wheel of the of the family's little Volkswagen as he's driving away with Marianne in 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 the end. So how sick was 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 um, Jonathan? It's it's hard to say. Was he actually just about to die from his um, leukemia or? Was his death accelerated by um, by the stress he was put under by the murders and trying to cover up those murders and everything that happened once Thomas Ripley um, fixed his gaze upon him? And of course, this friendship is between an American and a European, and the the film is called The American Friend. Um, American and European, not a German. It's um, um, made clear in the in the film that um, Jonathan Zimmerman, although he's living in Hamburg, isn't a German. He's Swiss. So in a way, he's also um, you know he's an immigrant. He's pretending to be someone else. So it's a um, at the very very end, um, Tom Ripley is singing an old song that I don't recognise, but it's um, the lyrics seem to be "Pity the poor immigrant." when, you know, when Jonathan has left him. Um, but yes, it's a friendship between an American and a European. And there's a lot made of, um, um, and there's certainly one of the, it's it's a, it's a, it's a, an allegory to some extent about the, the relationship between the post-war relationship, I imagine post-World War II relationship between American culture and European culture and the influence of the former on the latter and whether or not that's entirely uh, you know well, how, how positive or negative that is the famous line actually about um the yanks have colonized our subconscious comes from um kings of the road rather than the american friend but it's that theme is 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 is, is in both films and i don't know i think it's it's probably the case that Vim Venzels, when he was starting to make the film, probably started from uh, um, an idea or a feeling that European culture was to some extent under attack or, you know, being lost to some extent in uh, an, an assault of of the popularity of American popular culture. But like any good work of art, it, it, it gets more complicated once you let the story happen and once you let the story um wherever it starts from once you let the story happen once the once you you let the, the characters come alive and start to interact then things become way more complicated and the relationship between um Jonathan and, and Tom is very very complicated and there is no sense in which Jonathan um Zimmerman is simply a victim of the machinations of uh, an evil Tom Ripley. Um, he makes his own decisions, he makes his own choices, and he makes them for reasons which you can, which, you know, have to do with his own sense of his self as much as they have to do more than they have to do with money or um, coercion or anything of that nature. A good deal of the film's impact depends on the depiction of eyes. Dennis Hopper's intense, worried and disappointed eyes 
Bruno Ganser's concerned, confused eyes. Lisa Crowser's temperous but angry eyes, too wise and too aware of the impotency of her emotions. Gerard Blaine's needy eyes and Nicholas Ray's eye, his struggles with vision. Everyone's eyes saying, what am I looking at? How can I make sense of it? How can I make any sense of it at all? Written, but not sent to Vim Vendors. 7 May, 1977. My dear Vim, not long ago, a male actor aged 35 with whom I had great difficulty in stripping him down to his essential reality, was arrested by the FBI and put in prison for forgery. He was from the Midwest, his father was a lawyer. He was graduated from university with degrees in psychology and theology. He had been the pastor of a Midwestern church, a musician, trumpet, owned two jazz and soul nightclubs, formed and owned an advertising agency, and already spent one and a half years in a California prison on an earlier conviction of forgery. At this moment, he is again a fugitive, having jumped bail, and I receive phone calls from unknown places as if from a miscreant son. When he told me he was afraid the FBI was closing in on him, and for what reason, I began doing research on the criminal mind, the forger's mind in particular. It is work I should have done as preparation for your film which I now wish I could do all over again. No wonder I had difficulty getting him to work from himself outwards. Like most actors, he can't recognize who he is. But now, a strange contradiction. Once again a fugitive, he seems to be continuing the work we were doing together, and some of his communications have the ferocity of a man clawing at himself. Or has he added a new front? How fateful. I have become the forged father of a forger. So that's the end of the first series. I know it's a, a cliche, but I can't believe it's been a year, basically the guts of a year. Um, and it's time now for um, thank yous. Um, I want to say thank you to everybody who has listened. To the podcast over over this year um, it means a lot um, I really appreciate the people who've um, who've shared the episodes that they like um, and helped to grow the podcast and I really appreciate the comments that I've had and I would really encourage people to keep commenting and keep sharing please if you think it's worth it it really helps and um, I really do appreciate that. Some of you know there's a Ko-Fi um, account, um, ko-fi.com forward slash mypicturehouse. If you're feeling flahulok, then um, it's nice if uh, people contribute to the cause there. I really appreciate that too. Um, but most importantly, thank you very much. Thank you very much to everybody who's listened. And I hope you come back next year when we start again for season two. Also, um, huge thank yous to everybody who's 
helped me this year and been interviewed and appeared on the uh, on the episodes with me, starting with Anthony Litton, um, who encouraged us all to stay on the fucking train um, way back in in February, um, and has been on again since. Thanks very much, um, Anthony. It's really appreciated. Fela McDermott, who came on all the way from the west of Ireland and talked about um, Midnight Mass for lapsed, Catholic, for lapsed Catholics, excuse me. Lorraine McColgan, who um, was on talking about Watership Down. Thank you so much. Um, Brian, Brian Forth, who introduced, uh, I think, the first film this season that was new to me. Um, and, uh, and who has been on again since then, uh, since Breaking Away. Um, Nigel Bunyan, who's been on two or three times. Uh, thank you very much, Nigel. Hopefully you'll be back next year. Um, two, Zane Simon. Thank you so much, Zane, for, um, for coming on. And again, introducing me to a film I'd never seen before, a wonderful film. Uh, Craig McCall. Um, um, whose film Cameraman has been back in the cinemas again recently where it should be uh, great documentary um, Cameraman about the life and work of Jack Cardiff something that everybody should seek out if you if you haven't already it's it's a it's a, a really interesting film really well made and it's great that it's been back in the cinema on the big screen again um, where it will be at its best but on streaming services like Amazon it's still well 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 worth seeing um, thank you to the people who've been involved in this little recent mini-series Christina Politano thank you so much for helping me talk about Patricia Highsmith um, that's been great James Finlan thank you so much James um, and um, yeah thanks to just everybody who's been who's 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 been involved in in any way uh, the conversations that I've had I've really loved having the opportunity to think about and write about and talk about films that I love but I think more than anything else um, I've enjoyed having the conversations uh, with people about films that they love and the things that I've learned and um, the things that they've shared have genuinely meant a very great deal to me and I might not have had those conversations um, or had those conversations in the same way if it hadn't been for this podcast so I'm definitely going to be doing it again next year um, I might you know it might be February again when we start um, I can't promise exactly when we're going to start I'd like to maybe take a little bit of time get some interviews in the can so that um, you know there's, there's less pressure early on in the year um, but we'll definitely be back and I'll let you know in the usual places where 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 that is. Um, happy Christmas to everybody if if that's a thing you're interested in and um, and happy every day. Um, keep watching movies, keep commenting, like and share and all that kind of stuff. And um, I'll see you again next year. And thank you very much. Um, yeah, thanks very much. Um, bye for now.